From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Upstate's Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine has created several resources to help prevent and limit transmission of the COVID-19 virus. And with school about to resume, I'm speaking with the people who led that effort. Dr. Talisa Stewart is a doctor of public health and an associate professor in Upstate's Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine. And she has more than two decades of experience creating public health programs. And Alyssa Indelicata is part of the professional staff in that department. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, both of you. Hello. Thanks for having us. Well, I want to let listeners know they can find the resources we're going to talk about at upstate.edu slash public health in a tab called COVID-19. I checked on it before, and it's a very well-organized um, binders, virtual binders. But please tell us what they'll find in these virtual binders. Dr. Stewart? Thank you. So the binders themselves have um, have a lot of different information in them, and they're for specifically for college campuses. The binders cover information about four different health prevention strategies to prevent COVID, which include hand washing, face masks, social distancing, and self-monitoring. So for each one of those domains, we cover health education information. How do we educate the community? We cover how to change behavior for long term. We cover the policies of how to put you know, different policies into place at the institutional level, and we cover how to measure the change. So how did you choose those four particular domains? So to prevent COVID that we know that hand washing, social distancing, facial masks and self-monitoring all work. So we really are focused in on those topics. Okay, and this is Alyssa I'm speaking with. So uh, something that in, went into this was a lot of research on your part, sort of looking at what's out there, right? Yeah, so there's a team of us, uh, myself, uh, Alyssa, who is, who is with us, um, and a few others who joined in in the effort, and we conducted a full literature review on how to best uh, educate the population, what kind of behavioral interventions we could put into place and how best to measure it. And I think what's what's interesting here is that, you know, hand washing, for example, has been around for a long time. So there's quite a bit of literature on that that we could pull from, although we don't have specific data for COVID and we, we're starting to see that emerge now. Uh, we, we've been able to kind of ex extrapolate and use that information that's just been the standard practice for hand washing. Unlike social distancing, where there's less there's less research on social distancing, how do you do it? How do you educate people? How do you keep them that, that behavior going for longer periods of time? That um, that was more challenging. So, but we've been able to use different disease profiles uh, to um, build that the research um, for these institutions to use. I saw that you were describing something called the logic model. What what is that? Essentially, it's a grid, and it it identifies the resources that you need for your intervention. It identifies the activities that go into any kind of program. And for this program, we 
the standard activities are you have education because we know that knowledge is important, but we also know that knowledge alone doesn't change behavior. So that's one piece in the activity. We have the part that changes behavior, which is the behavioral intervention. And we know that even though we have knowledge and we have behavior change, we know that our environment uh, also influences how we behave. So we have information about how to change policy. And with each one of those programs, those activities, we want to make sure that people have uh, their short-term outcome is they have awareness, they have knowledge, they have a good attitude about it, and they have a skill set to do whatever behavior we want them to do. And then that leads to a longer-term behavior, and eventually it leads to the prevention of COVID. So those that particular tool, the logic model, helps us map those things out. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Talisa Stewart, a doctor of public health, and Alyssa Indelicata from the professional staff in Upstate's public health program about considerations for returning to college campuses during the pandemic. And the resources we're talking about are available at upstate.edu slash public health in a tab called COVID-19. So let's talk a little more about hand washing. If the goal is to increase hand washing among college students, what are some of the ways that you list about accomplishing that? Alyssa? So we have a few behavioral interventions that we use in our hand washing program. Uh, one of these is gamification, which really uses games to motivate individuals to change their behavior. Our program specifically suggests games such as hand washing trivia and raffles as ways to engage people, um, specifically the college uh, community. Decision prompt interventions are also used to change behavior. And this is where you place motivational signs in different areas where people um, have, a, have a choice between two behaviors. So in the instance of hand washing, this would be when you're leaving a restroom or passing a sink, and that's where you want to place your hand washing message. So these um, are mostly aimed at students. Or do they also apply to staff and um, everyone on a college campus? Yeah, the same behavior should apply to every community member. The message that people have never heard before is better or worse than reiterating messages that they've probably heard a thousand times? Well, it is good to reiterate your message, but what you need to do is figure out a new way of saying the message or else people are become desensitized to it and not really hear it. One of the things that we do uh, when we create these behavioral messages is that we map them to the health belief model. So the health belief model uh, is a model that we use in public health uh, that we know um, shows us what kind of areas we need to focus in on. So one of those areas is the perception of risk. Uh, we know that people who have low perception of risk are less likely to do a behavior. So some of our messages target risk perception. And so we map all of these messages out. We map them through the logic model, like what we talked about before. And then we also map them through the health belief model. And so when we identify uh, the different domains of what we need to, uh, to address, we create health messages from there. And what um, one of the things that we try to do is we try to bring new information to people. 
And as Alyssa talked about, people become desensitized. So they see a message and it might stick the first time and then the next time they see it, they say, oh yeah. And then the third time they just don't acknowledge it. And so by changing out the messages regularly and by giving them new tidbits of information, people stay engaged with the same topic. So what resources do you offer on mask usage and what are some of your messages about that? Is it just to get people to wear them or is it to make sure they wear them properly or that they clean them? Yeah, so every program that we have, the four programs that we have, which again is the face masking, social distancing, hand washing and self-monitoring, each one of those programs has a series of messages. They have a series of between eight to 12 messages, and those messages have been mapped scientifically to the health belief model and in the logic model. Um, those messages, the information in those messages are, are driven from evidence-based uh, research that we, that we find in the literature. So they're all, each program is different depending on the domain, um, but we cover, all, we cover things from what is it? You know, what is the topic? What is hand washing? What is face mask use? What is social distancing? What is self-monitoring? And then we cover how do you do it and all the steps that need to go into that process and then why you would want to go about doing it. And so we cover those and it depends on the research that's out there and how complicated the behavior is, how many messages that go into that campaign. So it seems to me, the social distancing, it seems to me that one might be the most difficult on a college campus. Does it, does it mean that there's not going to be any socializing on campuses? Alyssa? Um, no, people should, you know, they still need to socialize and there will be socialization. Um, but the trick is it, to it is staying six feet apart and wearing a face mask. Well, what's important to know about self-monitoring? So self-monitoring is really about knowing yourself. Um, you could have some of these symptoms, but at the end of the day, you really need to know what is normal for you. And if you start to realize you're getting some of these abnormal symptoms, that's when you should start self-monitoring. I think for self-monitoring, uh, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and the World Health Organization have both promoted the idea of self-monitoring, their steps are very similar. Each college campus has a different uh, recommendation or policy that they've put into place. So they really should be following the recommendations that each university is putting out. The health messages and the programs that we've put together uh, educate the community on what self-monitoring is. It's a new behavior, so a lot of people just don't recognize it. Uh, and so we walk them through the process of how to do it, when to do it, what does it look like, what kind of form do you use, uh, and then when should you talk to your doctor. Thank you to Dr. Talissa Stewart and Alyssa Indelicato from Upstate's Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine. I'm Amber Smith from Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.